0: Welcome to Vision Magnified.
1: We are a podcast that showcases the blind community living limitlessly,
0: breaking barriers and
1: smashing stereotypes, proving that we are more than just our disability.
0: Warning, the topics covered in this podcast may be triggering for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you feel you need assistance, help is available. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. In Canada, you can also reach out at 833-456-4566. There's also assistance available in Quebec, and that is 866-277-3566 three. If you are a victim of domestic violence, help is available. You can call 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. Never be afraid to reach out.
2: See, I think it's interesting you brought that up because I was thinking of a situation that I realized after I realized more of what abuse was that happened with a friend of mine and I realized and I know that she is that way because of trauma stuff and she goes to therapy and she just has little weird moments and sometimes it does strain the damn friendship but she knows that too so like we take space when we have to but this one incident I she's kind of proud of it but I look back on it it's like yeah that was definitely abuse and it was I was staying with her for part of the summer and I had been prescribed a sleep medication at the time. I can't remember what it was, or if it made me do something weird or whatever. But she thought I ought to stop taking it. And it was like, no, because it actually works. So I, I did keep taking it and didn't tell her. And because uh, she considered that lying, or I think I did lie and said no, I wasn't taking it because why the fuck would I not take what I was prescribed? You're not a doctor um she got so mad we like went down to the beach and she didn't speak to me until after she went uh like out in the water and then came back up like i was sitting there on the blanket crying it's like yeah no that was kind of fucked up but like i said she goes to therapy and she realizes that sometimes she does things that are not quite right so we are still friends and we've been through a lot with each other so the friendship is not quite done but as I'm getting better and healing, I'm learning to better call out uh, things I see and set boundaries and, like, <laughs> not take the bullshit for an answer. The boundaries thing is so important, and it's one of the
1: keys to my healing. I realize that I have very weak boundaries, or I had, or... Mm. <laughs> Maybe still have, probably, um, but it's, it's something that I'm working on in therapy, and I think that's key to to healing and to um, learning how to deal and navigate with, with abuse is those boundaries if you've got weak ones.
2: Oh, definitely. Like I used to, I'm still the person who somebody goes, what do you want to eat? It's like, I don't even usually say, it cause I want the same damn thing and they don't want to hear it. And I, and then they pick on you for wanting the same damn thing. It's like, I'm open to other suggestions, but hey, you asked. So now I just be like, Oh, I'm open to whatever. What were you thinking? Trauma response. I had to be
0: done with this friend, but there were so many years. It was like, you know, but for all the bad she brings into my life, like, I do a lot more. Like, she pulls me out of my shell. And, yeah, I end up, you know, in a freaking huddle from the police so we don't get caught. Or, um, yeah, I end up trying to have, have to pull her out of dangerous situations. Or, yeah, I end up ba- babysitting her. Or, yeah, you know, I... I don't really ever get to have any fun because I'm too busy watching out for her. But she brings a lot of good things into my life, and I and I don't think that I would go anywhere, or do anything, or be anything if I didn't know this person. And and you you get to feeling this way, like you're you are not enough, and it's not like she ever said anything that I was like, oh, you'll never blah 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 without me. Like I never heard that from her, but I think that that she had the subtle way of making me feel like that. Because she was so extroverted and I'm so introverted that I just naturally was like, you know, I, I I just I wouldn't have a life if she wasn't in my life. So maybe I'm using her, too. Maybe maybe that other, it's, it's on me, too, that I'm using her, too. And um, I sat there and I really thought about it. And I'm like, you know what, I, I feel like eventually I got to a point where it's like, I think I've talked myself into a lot of things. To save our friendship. And I, I've talked to myself into a lot of places I would never let anybody, you know, go with me to save our friendship. And there is definitely some boundary um, squishing there and, and passing. And I've had to rewrite my boundaries so many times for this person. That, that and, and I'm a very, I, to other people, I'm very boundary sensitive when it comes to me i used to be like well maybe i guess i can make an excuse or well maybe i guess i can just let that happen one time and i'm I, you know that's what that that happened in that relationship and i didn't even realize it
2: yeah i think we all get a little weird about setting boundaries sometimes one you have to know how to set them and be healthy about it like i did not have that example growing up but two, sometimes you do want to give people more leeway, especially if they're new to your life in whatever sense, because they're new and it it can drive you away from being adamant about things that you personally need to be adamant about because you don't want to just, like, oh, this person's brand new and they didn't know, and it's like, nope, fuck you, get away from me, you're done now, One <laughs> and th- just, like, ruin the situation or whatever.
0: <laughs> One yeah. thing that I think is it needs to be said is if – somebody is crossing a boundary with you and you set a healthy and clear boundary and that pisses them off or they still try to test that boundary. That's a big red flag right there. That Absolutely. Is a big red flag.
2: Definitely. Like I don't ignore that.
1: Um, I was just going to say too, I think one of the things is addressing core wounds. And I, I mentioned this before, one of mine is not feeling good enough. Not feeling worthy, ever. Yeah, and um, this is something that I've come to realize in therapy and reprogramming, rewiring my brain. Like literally, um, it it's contributed to a lot of the codependent, people pleasing behavior that I've done and the weak boundaries because you try to prove to yourself or to other people for many many years. or I did that you're good enough you're worthy you and you'll you'll take a lot you'll put up with a lot of bullshit
0: my question to those of you who were in abusive relationships now please understand that I'm asking this question from an outsider's perspective like I have asked this question of a family member before and it was made very clear to me like how insensitive this question is but I'm gonna ask it as somebody who who just I, I guess has a a, a logical mind about these things um, so pardon my uh, question but i'm gonna ask it, why didn't you leave you're obviously being abused you're obviously being hurt or psychologically abused why didn't you leave
2: that's always like a really subjective answer i feel like in the case of some other relationships it's because you i didn't realize or and some of the other ones we've talked about like non-romantically It's family and you're conditioned not to like cut off your family. But I know this last one, it was the situation. Like it would have messed up the living situation. They would have messed up the financial situation. I wanted, it was a whole bunch of new stuff going on for everybody involved. And I wanted to give that person the benefit of the doubt because all I could do is take them at face value. And I became susceptible to the abuse. It's, ugh. It just became a cycle.
1: I agree with not wanting to cut off the family. I would consider myself a family-oriented person, even though I live far away from most of them, um, because I don't want to deal with a lot of the drama and dysfunction. But there's still a ton of guilt and shame about uh, talking about the abuse and, uh, and cutting off family members that I maybe should or have less contact with. Uh, the physically abusive relationships I was living with the two people that physically abused me and I I didn't stay for very long after especially after the abuse and with the relationship with the narcissist that's just something entirely different than dealing with the trauma bond and all of the addictive qualities and nature of the relationship it's just something entirely different as I said before
3: that's exactly what I was because with with the really with my last relationship it was literally I didn't feel comfortable in the living situation I was in alone with the other roommate that was in my apartment um and i needed i felt like i needed somebody there even though you know he was definitely a narcissist uh i it didn't matter because even you know if the other if the other if the roommate would have tried anything you know at least i know you know he would have gone off on the roommate and you know fixed it or or, or you know or Protected me, I guess I would say, and like I said, the 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 first one was that was all that was literally all mostly
4: drugs. Well, well you want to try to hope for the best, and like you guys said, you want to give the person the benefit of the doubt. You know, as for me, I gave my, my ex wife like four, five different chances to straighten up, and she did it once, and I thought she could do it again, but it took me a long time to realize no, this is. This is not it no more. And then at the same time, like you said earlier about the financial situation and the living situation. Well, luckily I got full custody of the kids. She lost all her rights of the kids. And then on top of that, I had all the income. So I had all the control that she didn't have anymore. And once I realized, well, dang, I can actually do this on my own and take care of the kids and either be a single dad or find somebody or whatever. And then I I realized I didn't have to really look, let it come to me and just take care of my kids and be a responsible father. And then Amber found me. So (laughs) then I was set good to go.
0: (laughs) From my standpoint, why I didn't leave is because originally I didn't notice that it was abuse. I just thought she was kind of a bitch and I was just gonna deal with it because I wanted to be her friend. Um, and because we had more good times than bad at the time. Um, and then, you know, over time it just became more bad times and more annoyance to be her friend than, than anything. And then I had to deal with, um, where my self-esteem was personally. It meant facing a lot of personal demons and, and like dealing with that and, and getting myself through it. Because, you know, at the time, like, my family did not believe in therapy and we didn't do therapy and I didn't know how to get therapy. So, for me, I I just decided that, well, I'm going to resign myself to, to, um, you know, being this person in a room not doing anything because I'm going to let this relationship go because it's just not worth it. Um, So, I had to really talk myself into... (laughs) into leaving before I decided to leave. So I know that you guys said that you tried multiple times to leave. Um, how many times do you think that it took you to leave uh, once and for all?
2: I can say for me, it actually took me twice to leave my toxic ex, technically, because he cheated on everybody at one point, And, like, I broke up with him because he didn't even react well <laughs> to being called out for cheating. And... Yeah, that took me twice. With my family, I've taken space several times. I can't think of how many for sure. I think two or three total before I finally went no contact with my father.
3: Mine was... Uh, <laughs> the first one, it was twice. Um, the first time, I, uh, I just wasn't ready. And the second time, it was kind of a ridiculous scenario. I uh, wanted to go clothes shopping and he wanted the money for other purposes and I got up and grabbed my purse and and walked out and um, with the other one, uh, that was about six times. Every time I would realize that he was talking to another woman. I would kick him out and then I would go have a talk with him
1: and then I would let him back in. And then, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the two physically abusive relationships, it took twice the relationship with the narcissist. um, There's a push pull with the, there's a cyclical nature of a narcissistic relationship. So there was like discard and Hoover kind of thing about five times. And then the final discard, um, was in, I was going to say, I think was in, uh, January. Cause I'm not sure it's the, the final discard. Um, but the, again, I, I'm still struggling with, with that, with that whole thing, trauma bonding.
4: Well, for me, uh, you're saying pretty much same thing uh i gave her like four or five chances to get right and i probably took her about back around the same amount of times and you know um it was hard because you know i had to think of my kids before myself and think of the situation of how things would be because um i I was used to you know taking care of the kids pretty much by myself because i did more than she did not to you know talk bad about a person but That was the truth. You know, I did more than she did. And as of today, my 16-year-old daughter always says, you've always been a mom and a dad (laughs) to her her, and to her two brothers. So, you know, I'm proud of that. And as far as my family, um, I really never really had to back away from my mom because she was always there for me and she knew what I was going through. And she would tell me, things like, this is not going to work, you need to leave her. She even told me as far as don't marry her, (laughs) but like I said earlier, it took me five years to say yes. I've seen people wait ten years before they got married, but always thought that it's always best to live with a person before you marry them Mm -hmm. so you can learn each other's habits, dislikes, and everything about the person, you know, but you could do that. And that person can still also change Just like you guys had said earlier, there was a lot of okay things, good things, better things, and then things just got worse. And you would think that they would get better. But I would say, with uh, being married for all those years, I would say, between the first six and eight years, things were, oh things were okay, but they could have been better, but they got worse over eight years. And as my kids got older, things got worse.
0: What brings you back? What What was the, was there, was there a pattern of what brought you back or was it just like, the, oh, let's talk about it. Oh, you know, I didn't mean it, I'm sorry. Like, what was it that brought you back each time?
4: Well, my problem was that, I don't know, I've always learned to forgive and forget and everybody deserves a second chance, but Usually after the third or second or sometimes the first, depending on what type of person you are, you're you're not going to do it anymore. But say something happened today, I'll be upset. And then the next day, I felt that, oh, well, it, you know, it happened yesterday. Today's a new day. Maybe we can try for better things or we can move on from, from that because, you know, tomorrow's never promised.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: But then it was always more and more happening. So it was just hard to figure well, am I going to still deal with this? Is it going to get worse or is it going to get better? That, that that was always the thing with me. And, I, and things would get better here and there, but then it, 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 things would come back. And I'm like, dang, I'm still de- dealing with the same thing. It hasn't gotten any better. It would just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse.
2: I can agree with that. I was thinking of that in terms of the last question randomly because there was one really toxic, abusive relationship. I didn't technically get to leave. Um, I got let out of because my mother died. And that's how you know you've been abused, when somebody dies and it's like the biggest relief you've ever felt. But I feel like that's definitely part of the pattern. You wanna give somebody another chance. You wanna let them like try to fix it. And also for me, um, since it started when I was growing up as a kid and I did in fact, go fully deaf prior to being age of majority. So I knew that diagnosis. I knew the world was gonna be tough. So it's like, no, because if I can survive this, because I had suicidal at one point and that was what stopped me with the blade on my wrists. That was what stopped me, it was like, t- fuck them. I'm tough, the world's gonna be like this if I can make it through this like last year of school and get out, I got this. Like, that was a big push for me was because I'm tough. I know with the last relationship, it was definitely the giving and giving the person another chance, especially considering the circumstances of stuff being all new and stuff. In that case, it was just too much forgiveness. And that's always been a big problem with me, which is also a trauma response. Yay. Yeah, um,
1: I would say. With a couple of my relationships, the abusive ones, it was giving somebody that second chance, thinking things that would get better. Um, And then, as I mentioned previously, this narcissistic relationship, the push-pull, the cyclical nature of it, the trauma bonding, that is definitely the addictive quality of the relationship. What kept me coming back because i had tried a couple of times i had told him we're done i'm finished and i could not pull myself away i i just couldn't do it 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 physically hurt it it was just terrible so um and i think i'm still dealing well i know i'm still dealing with with effects of that that whole addictive trauma bonding thing
0: for me i feel like a lot of the reasons that i would come back to this friendship is she would play on the nostalgia of the good times that we had she would speak to the better parts or the more endearing parts of our friendship and i would i would think you know Really wasn't that bad. Really was leaving the right thing to do because yeah, we had a lot of fun. And she's a good person. If if she just gets past her disorders and stuff, you know, she's a really good person. I would talk myself into it. I, like I can hear me doing it now. Like I can talk. I would talk myself into it. Like, um, if I really thought about it as me just thinking about things, I probably would have said no. But because, um her playing on my nostalgia made me nostalgic in a way that I forgave a lot. I I talked to myself into thinking I forgave a lot of the bad times. But as soon as it would start up again, I was like, nope, see, you you knew this was going to be the thing. So, like, eventually I just, I was done. When when I was leaving, I had all my stuff out of the house and she was still packing up things to go. And she's like, um... She goes, so does this really mean that we're not friends anymore? I'm like, you know what? I don't know that we ever were. And that was a big moment for me. Things were so bad that even the lady who ran the property realized how bad things were and how toxic that my former friend was. So when she gave me the housing deposit, she's like, I'm going to write the check out to you. And I would advise not giving her anything. I still went back and I gave her a portion of that deposit even though it was supposed to be mine and the reason I did this is because when I walked away I wanted zero guilt and I wanted to at least know that um, she would have a roof over her son's head so I gave her some of the deposit back for that reason because I wanted there to be no strings I wanted there to be no guilt I wanted it to be done and it has been I I've not looked back It's been like 12 years now, I think. Do you think that one of the reasons, or has it ever been for any of you being um, visually impaired, do you think that SSI or your income plays a role in why you don't leave, why you put up with the situation? And do you think that the current laws on ssi and income you know being taken away as you marry do you think that that serves to trap people in their relationships
2: absolutely um i'm on ssdi and they're uh, dicking me around about my check again i just went through this over the summer we were discussing this pre-record and it's just it will keep you where you are, whether the relationship's romantic, friendship, family, it will keep you where you are because then you don't have the means to get out. Because unless you know somebody who's well off and you can turn around and ask them, Hey, can you help me? And depending what else you're dealing with, what your trauma responses are to that, you might not even be able to ask for help. Like the the financials being lesser and like the limits on the income and the limits For getting married and stuff, it definitely forces you to stay in the same place, regardless of the nature of the relationship or if it's abusive or not. Yeah, definitely (laughs)
1: adds a huge element of dependence with being on SSI and the income cut if you're married. And if you want to get out of a relationship, sometimes. Someone might stay for convenience, because um, they don't. They have a fear of going back and living with family. I know I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, someone might stay in a situation that they shouldn't. They know they shouldn't. They feel stuck. Mm-hmm.
3: It was. It's weird because in both of the relationships I've talked about throughout this thing, I was the one, basically. Uh, taking care of everything income-wise on my little SSI checks or, you know, or when I was working. Um, So there was really, for the first one, there was really no incentive there for me to stay, except for, yeah, I didn't really want to move back in with my parents. And then the second one, you know, um, like I said, it was just a, I guess you would say a matter of convenience. At least I had somebody there that would, you know, do something if something else went down
2: yeah and it also like we keep mentioning living with family like several people have asked me because right now I think I've got a few months to figure out what I'm doing because a housing list is too long to rely on and several people have asked me well why don't you call your dad it's like you realize having no other choice than my dad is part of what killed my mom right like he's awful so when the family can't be relied upon or they're abusive too like it puts you in an even worse situation it gets it gets absolutely crazy like the struggle is real
0: because we're so a lot of visually impaired people um are so dependent on their ssi um do you think that there should be um i guess measures taken to allow someone to leave an abusive situation like maybe a fund that we have to help an abuse uh, abused person get away from their abuser, because I, I personally do. I think that there should be some sort of like escape fund.
2: Yeah, I agree. I feel like that should be a thing. I'm surprised there's not already a nonprofit for it because, if I recall. Um, I don't remember exactly how the different kinds of shelters work, but I think a lot of like women's and girls and even there's some men's ones now are more like run by nonprofit things than actual government entities. But I think something like that should definitely exist. I think something like that should exist to help people with disabilities just get situated in general because the government services are crap.
4: Well, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because, actually, when I was growing up as a kid, it was was funny, too, because this guy my mom was introduced to by one of her friends didn't know that the guy she was introduced to was a very strong, heavy alcoholic. He also was a Marine. So when he uh, came home from work, he took out his anger on different things that went on in the house. And one of them was with my brother. My brother had got some jelly on the, onto the carpet and he, oh man, he was so mad. I don't remember exactly what he did, but he was, he was very angry about it. And then he started getting real abusive with my mom. But I had told my mom before we had even moved to Virginia from California to don't marry this guy, but I didn't know why. And she didn't know why, but for some reason, I kept telling her don't marry him. He doesn't seem like the one for you. And come to find out, when we moved back to California, we did stay in a shelter. And luckily, they kept me, my brother, and my mom in the same room. Other people, other women that were there, because it was mainly women, um, if they had um, boys and girls, they would uh, separate the um, boys and girls in a different room than with their parents, but they were nearby. But um, that shelter luckily gave my mom money and the school, high school I went to, one of the ladies gave us money to get back to California. So I think a lot of the help is out there, but if you don't ask or mention it, they won't tell you. It's
3: not readily available. You have to literally call 2-1-1 or your local, you know, find the local nonprofit that does deals with these these things. Yeah. And there's not specifically anything for people with disabilities. It's just you know whether you're blind, whether you're deaf, whether you're a wheelchair user, you know something else. Like you just do go go with you know, if you need that kind of thing, you just go with what's available out there. And oftentimes they don't have the capacity to help
1: that much.
2: Yeah, because it depends on the situation. Like if the abusive thing is not, a, a romantic relationship I don't think a lot of times like an abused woman's shelter will even take you or an abused men's shelter will take you it has to be like a romantic relationship it can't be like your roommate or family situation went bad mm-hmm. I
3: mean that's that, even the way it is for the most part that's that's what I faced even trying to get a restraining order on you know an abusive roommate Oh, well, you guys aren't in a romantic relationship so you know, this isn't going to fly, basically.
1: Yeah, I think I would be pretty scared to go to a shelter being blind. I, I don't know how I would handle that situation if I had to go last resort.
0: Yeah, um, and I know that there is at least, I don't know any other state, but I know in California there's the Dale McIntosh Center. And that's kind of, they have a kind of like dormitory apartments. Um, where you are in your room and you pay a certain amount per month. Um, but there are so many rules and restrictions that it kind of almost makes you feel imprisoned or, like, it makes you feel um, um, like, like you're a child. Um, because I remember when I was going to stay there, after um, getting out of, um, before I went out on my own, um, I just remember feeling like, infantilized like i was a child um like i couldn't take care of myself but at the same time i was expected to take care of myself however what i would would say about that place is that if you are disabled in california and you need a transitional place to be i think it's a safe place to be um they keep very strict tabs at least at the time that i went there they keep strict tabs on who comes in and who goes out and things like that and um There's a lot of safety precautions taken. So I think for some instances, it would be a great transition. But for others, it would make you feel very small.
2: I think that sounds really nifty. And I know a lot of things that are catered to the elderly will sometimes accept disabled as well um it made me think of uh, section 8 and housing assistance though i feel like if that was improved in certain ways it would be helpful because i know certain states you can't get a voucher until you've lived in the section 8 housing complexes for a certain amount of time and then the wait list is forever long yes. and pe- for whatever reason people don't become section 8 landlords even though all these companies and people own all these properties and they could rent them out that way at I feel like if the housing assistance stuff was improved, that would help a lot too.
3: Like if you're on SSI, you should, honestly, I think you should automatically receive a section eight voucher with your SSI. I agree agree. that and some food stamps, please. Thank you. Yes, I agree. That would, that would save, that would keep a lot of the problem of uh, being with somebody out of convenience or out of financial need, you know, that would keep a lot of that,
4: down. Yeah, you because know, I remember um when I got married and m- my ex wife got one of her first jobs that paid really well. SSI left me with only $388 a month because she was making too much money. I'm like, how am I supposed to pay the rent and the bills? I don't even know how, as of today, I don't know how I made it to pay the bills, but I know the rent wasn't getting paid. So I had to get thrown out of that place. But luckily, I still have my Section 8 today, but it took me, I, I applied in 99, 98 or 99, I didn't get it until 2008. I, and
0: now, I actually applied um, for Section 8 housing in 1997, 1997 when I graduated, and mm-hmm. I did not get called until mm, thousand and third two thousand and probably 2005 and then i lost it within two months because i couldn't find a place
3: that's what happened to me i applied i think i probably applied the same year you did got mine in 2003 had it decided i wanted to move out of that apartment because it was trash and i wanted to port county into a different county couldn't find an apartment and lost it
2: yeah, I know somebody's going through that now, and I I applied in a place where I was living once, and I just didn't renew because I moved after that. But I was going to apply now, and they're like, "Oh, it's so long." It's like ah, and I was just thinking about that thing about how you were talking about Macintosh, and I mentioned the things catered to the elderly sometimes work. I was thinking about like paperwork and offices and bureaucracy, Mm -hmm. but wouldn't it be nice if they offered the kind of like assisted living they do for the elderly that was more for the disabled where it's just like these little apartments and you can come and go as you please, but there's always people like on site and they come around and help you with cleaning and stuff. Like why don't we have that specifically for the disabled as well? I mean, yeah, they do have,
3: things like that, but it, it's not a come-and-go-as-you-please type situation. Right. And that's the problem. Like, we are adults. You know, if I want to go down to Seven Eleven and buy myself some hot Cheetos, I don't feel like I need to tell you that. Like, that's none of your business.
0: And, and that's, exactly. that's, that's where the problem is with, with certain centers like this. It's like you've just gotten out of a – you may have just gotten out of a very controlling relationship. To be in another controlled environment might make you feel a little bit – Trapped again, and that's the farthest thing from what you want, you know what I mean?
2: Oh, yeah, no, like I'm having a problem with anybody who's got any, like that. I sense any kind of trying to control or manipulate me from right now after being in a relationship with a narc. It's like, holy crap, I could not. I'm gonna at this
0: point, just to wrap things up here, ask for your final thoughts, anything that you didn't feel like we covered, or any final thoughts that you want to say on the subject matter.
1: I would just say for me, getting therapy was is key to healing from my abuse both childhood trauma and from relationships understanding that there are core wounds and beliefs that I've had to reprogram literally rewire my brain um EMDR somatic therapies havening those can really help With trauma and healing and um, I think it's important because I went I started therapy at 20 and I didn't gel with talk therapy I never have EMDR is really where it's at for me but it took what 30 years to get to uh, well from 20 to 40 not 48 (laughs) to to finally get therapy and i understand it's very difficult to find a therapist at this at this stage of the game and particularly for people with certain kinds of insurance so i don't want it to be an easier said than done thing but i really i mean my therapist is amazing i couldn't have asked for a better therapist so i'm very fortunate in that way but i really do think that therapy has has been and is the key to my healing
3: absolutely right you know if if therapy was something that was easily attainable on on you know medi medicaid it would be I think it'd be beneficial for anybody
2: yeah I want to agree with that and if I had better means to it I would be in therapy again yeah, right 100%. now And in lieu of actual like professional therapy, if you can't get it, I think finding your own therapy and doing your own research and accruing knowledge is also really, really key. Like you have to find and create your safe place, your safe space, and you have to cultivate reasonably healthy relationships with people you can talk to about this stuff at least, because that can be a kind of therapy in and of itself. And it's really a lot about recognizing that it wasn't your fault you didn't necessarily do anything wrong you were being played you were being abused and you are like you still have plenty of worth you're going to continue to have plenty of worth and it, it's just it's difficult and you have to cultivate like I said those spaces and those relationships and if you can get professional therapy put in the work and
0: do it for me, therapy has not been easy to come by. I wouldn't say that research is therapy. However, it's very therapeutic and it teaches you so much because I've not been able to, to get a therapist or a psychiatrist like I want. The best thing that I could have done my, for myself is, is to do the research, is to learn the patterns, to learn the triggers, to learn the warning signs, to learn what to watch out for, and to realize Uh, that I've predisposed to certain things and to realize what my vulnerabilities are. That has helped a lot. So any kind of research that you can do to figure out more about yourself, that's gonna help you tremendously.
2: We actually live in a world where TikTok is a great resource for that right now. Like if you find the right people with the right content for a while, my FYP was all, so you're dating a narcissist. So this is what gaslighting is. So these are the signs. Da da da. Like there are people out there trying to share the knowledge who are legit professionals trying to get you help because they know that the fight is difficult and knowledge is power. So all you really have to do is use the internet if you've got access to that. I agree. If you don't I don't know how you're listening to this podcast, but <laughs> yeah, I
1: agree 100% reading and research. I mean, I've done a ton of it before I was in therapy or in between therapists. I mean, just decades of reading and research on the internet, books. I mean, there's just a ton of material available.
0: Thank you to everybody for being here today and for discussing this very intense topic. We will see you next week. Abuse can be a very difficult subject to talk about, and it could even have residual effects just from speaking about it. I encourage any of my panelists, as well as anyone listening to this podcast, to reach out. If you do feel that you need to speak with somebody, there is help and there is hope. Stay well, you guys. Lots of love. If you feel you need assistance, help is available. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. In Canada, you can also reach out at 833-456-4566 there's also assistance available in quebec and that is 866-277-3553 if you are a victim of domestic violence help is available you can call 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. Never be afraid to reach out. Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time. You can find us as Vision Magnified Official on TikTok and Instagram. And on Twitter as VMO Podcast. See you next time.